You're listening to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Like the show? Become a patron at patreon.com forward slash nygbc. You should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book that you can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Welcome to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club Podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Because we can't afford to pay someone to repeatedly punch us in the solar plexus. Got through that in one go. My name is Kevin, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Benedict, the Department of Standards and Measures reference for British person. Benedict, <laughs> does mayonnaise belong in the fridge or in the cupboard? Oh, well, hold on. Okay. It's a good question. Hi, uh-huh. Kevin. Nice There's one answer. Again. There's only one answer. Find well, no, okay. Fine to meet you as o- well, my good man. Open open, <laughs> open mayonnaise belongs in the fridge. Yes! I'm so glad we agree on this, otherwise I would have had to end the show. But uh, I did recently put out a Twitter poll about this because, because I got into a little bit of a, a discussion with a, a school friend, a law school uh-huh. friend here, who said, well, it's non-perishable, so you can keep it in the cupboard. Why would you want to take up space in your fridge? To which the only answer is, because that's fucking gross. Warm, <laughs> yeah, mayonnaise, warm mayonnaise is, is disgusting. Is not the one. I don't know what's I feel, wrong with you people. Yeah. This is, here's the thing. Mayonnaise, the idea of mayonnaise is utterly skin crawling to me. <laughs> just like warm egg gloop. It just is fucking disgusting. Having said that, if you give me something with mayonnaise on it and don't tell me it has mayonnaise on it, I'm like, this is the best thing I've ever eaten. <laughs> like, I love the taste of mayonnaise as long as I don't know it's mayonnaise, especially if it's a garlic mayonnaise. That's extremely my shit as long as I don't know that it's mayonnaise. Here's the thing. For years, I never put mayonnaise on sandwiches. I just didn't because I, I just I, I love mustard on my sandwiches. So I put so much mm-hmm. mustard on there that I wouldn't taste the mayonnaise anyway. Right. Yeah. And then, like, yeah, I don't know, a year or two ago, I started doing mayo just a little bit. And I, it's, it's, it's the same thing. You know, I like still, you start doing a little bit of Coke. Like, yeah, exactly. You just do a little bit, a rub it on the gums. Yeah, yeah. And, and I started doing just that tiny bit, but I still smother my sandwiches in mustard because I love mustard. And, and I don't know why. I know I'm not tasting the mayo because I definitely don't put enough on there to even taste it. But for some reason, I think my sandwiches are better. I have no <laughs> idea why. But I think, and hey, I think I also think you're right because I still don't use a ton of mayo. I use it mainly for I, lo- I love I love me some egg salad. I don't know how you feel about egg salad. I hope we're on the same Not page great. as well. Oh, I disappointed Sorry. In you. So again, my, my main issue with mayo comes from my issue with eggs, which like so I swing. There is no other food I swing harder between loving and hating than eggs. Sometimes really? I'm like, yeah, give me that fried egg sandwich. Love that shit. And then like sometimes I look at an egg and I'm like, how dare you exist? <laughs> I love eggs. I'm a big egg guy. My mom has a weird thing about eggs where she refuses to eat eggs unless they are so completely and fully cooked that they are bone dry. Right? She so has like no an yolk. obsession. 
you know, I love me an over easy egg. I mean, you know, bite into it in a sandwich and it squirts out all over your shirt. You got to go get a new uh-huh. shirt. But, but yeah, my mom will refuse to eat any sort of eggs. And I like, I will occasionally put eggs in things that are undercooked because that's the way the recipe is supposed to be and lie to her about it. And she doesn't know because like you with mayo, she doesn't have a problem unless she knows about it. <laughs> because delicious things are delicious. Yeah, they're delicious. Period. Yeah, End sweet. of story. But anyways, <laughs> we will get to more food talk coming up in a little bit. Before we actually get to the book, which is the point of this podcast, no, this is now a chef show. <laughs> not yep, yep, yep. Not your not your grandmother's cooking club. Uh, Benedict, do you have any hot takes for us this week? Uh, yes, I do indeed, and I think this is a weird one that might not land with any of our audience because I think it is only a British thing. <laughs> but we do I we have think... British listeners. We have no, some. Fair enough. Fair enough. Hello. He- hello it, to my It brethren. might help if we did books that weren't entirely America-centric to get us more British true. listeners, That's but yeah, yeah, we have a handful. Um, yeah, we'll do a Tommy Robinson book next. Um, <laughs> so, it's called sorry, Mein Kampf. He just, it's called Mein Kampf. He just wrote a sequel yeah. <laughs> during his actual time in prison. Yeah, oh, yeah, indeed. Um, so I think that... Are you familiar with British like squash drink? Do you know what that is? No, I've never heard of that. Okay, so basically it's like a bottle of from concentrate juice that you then just dilute. So it's it's like a concentrated juice and you mix from from concentrate. I thought you said from concentrate. Like that was a thing. No, no, it's 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 what is a from? I've never heard of a from. (laughs) No. (laughs) <laughs> no it's from concentrate so it's like it's just a bottle of like really strong juice that you then dilute with water and my hot take is that might be the best thing the brits have ever invented okay but we it's have that so in america good. and i know exactly what it is because i put it in my water it's those little water droplets that give flavor to your water yeah basically but yeah. you put it in first and then di- and dilute it with water you don't squeeze it into water you can go either there. way this isn't tea nope, in the nope, microwave nope 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 there is only one way to do it you have to pour the it's one part that to four parts water and it might be the best thing we've ever invented uh, fine i i guess you found That's a my... british grocery store recently that I you're, did. you're I becoming did. Obsessed i found with. the british section of our <laughs> of our local grocery store yes great where they label it as crisps instead of chips they do actually well <laughs> what's your hot take kevin expect? well yours was hotter than a sex scene on basic cable uh but mine mine is that as i get older things i thought were stupid i now find that i enjoy Oh, and this is, this is basically because um, I recently, and I think I've talked about this before, the gym in my building has reopened now, partially, uh, so that you have to make an appointment to be down in there, right? You can only have an hour in there. You have to wear a mask the whole time. It's limited to a number of people and things like that. But we have in our gym these Peloton bikes. And oh, no. for most of my life, right, as a, a guy who grew up playing all the sports growing up, very manly, very big, very strong, um, Benedict can vouch for me. Benedict, tell everyone I'm I'm strong. Tell them I'm tell certainly them I'm really strong. I mean, I can vouch for Big. <laughs> we we've never arm wrestled, but I can vouch for Big. Kevin is a big lad. He's a we chunky can vouch, boy. We can vouch for the fact that I can definitely take you in an arm wrestle. Oh, hundred percent, twig man. 100%. Um, but but Kevin's so, first words to me, who like when we actually met for the first yeah. time, was, "Hi, huh, you're taller than I thought you'd be." <laughs> This is true. It's true. Uh, but so, so I, for most of my life, right, I've always been a weightlifter. Always. I'm, I'm very strong, very big. I lift a lot of weight. So I always looked at things like spin classes as stupid. 
because that's really fucking hard. Well, and I have found because I'm so limited on what forms of exercise I can take, and I'm not going to go. You know, I hate jogging. Screw that. Um, and and the gym in my building is relatively small and doesn't have a ton of options. So I've started doing the Peloton bike, uh, and I found that it is. Very fun, surprisingly. I actually really enjoy it. And and yeah. I, I'm it's one of those things. I'm getting a little older. You and I are the same age. We'll be thirty in two years. And uh, I'm finding that there's there's things I enjoy as I get older that that uh, previously <laughs> I thought were stupid. So that's my hot take for the week. Good for I know. you. Look at I you. I know it's it's figuring I'm out getting cardio. old, man. Thirty in yeah. two years I'm calling us old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, no, I, I, I've never got on board with the peloton, but I do jog. I, I like a, I like a good run. I yeah. hate jogging. I despise jogging with a passion. I think you should check out the peloton thing if you get a chance, especially since they're in New York City. I know they have a studio there. It's probably yeah, ridiculously expensive to actually is, go yeah. be in person there, but it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. No, I, I like, really I like it. jogging because it's free though. Although my knee is <laughs> fucked up from playing tennis when I was younger, so now like I run and I'm like, oh, my knee is hurting today. <laughs> Great. I'm very, I'm very sad for you. Ah, but yeah. anyways, Benedict, it's time. It's time to move on. So what is on your bookshelf this week? Oh, we're not. Are we, are we doing this now? Okay, okay. okay. Yeah, we're doing I this thought, now. I you're th- looking. No, I, I see you're looking at our notes. I, I thought it was time. I thought it was time for your sandwich beef, but not. No, not that's yet. why it's listed yeah. after. No, I got you. I wasn't looking. I was looking at your beautiful face. I wasn't looking at the at the notes. I'm trying to be. You know, uh-huh. acting is reacting. The audience Kevin. is getting sneak to... peeks of what I'm going to complain about next. Yeah, that's it. Okay, so my <laughs> bookshelf this week is a fiction book. And it is the any of or and or all of the Cemetery of the Forgotten Books quadrilogy by Carlos Ruiz Zafon. It starts with The Shadow of the Wind, then The Angel's Game, then The Prisoner of Heaven, and then The Labyrinth of the Spirits. And it's a really cool, like, gothic mystery set in 19... Between 1930s and 1960s Barcelona. So all through, like, the Civil War and Franco regime. It's very cool. It's a very fun book. And uh, sadly, you and the author just died obsession. Of... Yeah, I love that. Yes. It's like I know literally you love Spain. I'm just saying. Yeah, I know. Um, the author died a couple of weeks ago, so uh, it's a it's a good time to to read the books. I guess yes, it is, and pour some out for the homeboy. Uh, pour some out for Carlitos. Yeah, <laughs> my suggestion this week. I don't know. He could have died of COVID, and that would be entirely disrespectful of me. Or he could have just been an old guy. I don't know. Uh, no, but my he died, suggestion he died, this he week. He died young of cancer. I'm going back actually. to my roots. Okay, well, either way, my response was disrespectful, Uh, but I'm going back to my roots of being disrespectful to this entire segment, which is going with a TV show again this week, uh, rather than a book, Uh, although it is available in book form if you read comic books, because my suggestion again this week is another DC-based comic book TV show, Doom Patrol. Available on HBO Max, or if you're like me and a nerd who reads comic books, on the DC Universe app. Uh, and it is fantastic. We talked about, you know, I don't think it's uh, uh, crazy to everyone out there who listens to this show to imagine that I, the person who's constantly referring comic books, uh, has a thing for them. Uh, but I love that thing where uh, the destruction of the hero narrative, heavily flawed characters, and Doom Patrol does that better than just about anything else out there. It is mm. magnificent and also stars Timothy Dalton and... Um, who was George of the Jungle? Why am I blanking on his name? Brendan, Brendan Fraser. Fraser. Brendan Fraser and Timothy Dalton. It's so wow. good, man. That's that's quite the pairing. Quite, and it's fat Brendan Fraser. It's fat oh, Brendan shit. Fraser. It's okay. so good. 
It's so good. Imagine right. him in the mummy and then explode him. It's so good. It's great. <laughs> it's a really delightful series with just traumatically damaged characters who are all fucked up and trying to figure themselves out. Um, right. And it's it's wacky and funny and hilarious. I highly recommend it. So we got the bookshelf out of the way. Now, we don't always have housekeeping, but we do this week. Because, of course, there's some big things that if you follow us on all the social medias you've been hearing about, you've been seeing about. And there's also some things um, that we've heard about from you on social media which need to be addressed. Now, starting off, our next book has been chosen. The patrons have spoken, and we will be reading The Right Side of History by Ben Shapiro to Benedict's everlasting dismay. Yeah, to my shame and chagrin. I Certainly. know you were so disappointed because that was the I mean, one. There, but was, I... there was no good, good outcome to this. But, yeah. <laughs> but we talked about it for a long time. Right. And I've always said, eventually we're going to have to do a Ben Shapiro book. Right. But yeah. in my mind, that was two or three books down the line because I was all set to go for the Glenn Beck book, arguing with socialists and the patrons betrayed me uh, and made us do Ben <laughs> Shapiro. But, but, we got to go with what the people want. You got to go it. with what the people want. And and I'm excited for the book because it is, right, more than anything we've read so far, even Dinesh D'Souza, Ben Shapiro is considered, for some unfathomable reason, uh, a true deep thinker and philosopher of the right, despite not deserving that in, in the slightest. Uh, does he, does his, he think deeply or does he just talk fast? That's I, my question. It's a little. It's a little bit of all column B, um, but but this book, the right side of history, is supposed to be the magnum opus of conservative political thought. And when we get down to it, that's sort of what this show is about: is figuring out what are those strains of conservative thought. And you know, I have that little bit of a leg up on you and most of the listeners since I come from that place of having been a right wing shitbag for part of my life. So I already know a lot of these things that are in there. And I know a lot of the subtext to what they're saying that they aren't saying out loud, but everyone who's reading it oh, and everyone oh, who's Kevin. supporting it definitely yes, they 100% are. thanks. They are, they are a hundred percent saying those <laughs> things out loud. Now. I don't know if you've noticed over the last few years. <laughs> yeah. They're getting worse at keeping it hidden, but anyways, that's going to be the next book. So, and just so everyone's aware the plan is right. We're doing two chapters today because both of today's chapters, 15 and 16, were relatively short. They're about 10 pages. And then the last chapter is Trump 2020, which is, uh, you know, as you expect, vote Trump 2020. It's he needed to that fill out a few more chapter. pages. He needed to fill out a few more pages. Um, after that, we're going to have an episode that is both, we've decided, a look back at this book, sort of a debrief on everything we've been through, and then an introduction to the next book. So we're going to be talking about Ben Shapiro, his career, his bibliography, and uh, who he is as a person, which, spoilers, is an asshole. Uh, and so we'll do that, and then we'll come back, and we will start the book after that. Uh, so I'm excited for it. I know Benedict isn't, but that's what makes this show great. When he that's hates okay. what we're reading, it gets so much better. It really does. Yeah, I think that that is when the show is at its best, when I'm just full of loathing and spite. <laughs> well, which is usually most of the time anyway. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that's true. But so other than that, let's move on a little bit. We have we have two more short housekeeping items we have to deal with. And one, again, is another thing that happened on social media. Uh, we're one of our, our dear listeners, our dear, disgusting, despicable listeners, attacked me on Twitter. <laughs> attacked me. And I won't name them. 
because I'm not going to dox actually, anybody. This, this was my this was my alt account. I didn't tell. I Kevin texted this. you about this. I texted <laughs> I know, you yeah. about this because this I upset know. me. Someone, if you recall, last episode, last triggered episode, I discussed my perfect sandwich. My perfect sandwich is basically, and I will admit this, a ham on sourdough with cheese. That is basically my sandwich. And someone came at me and said, I have boring sandwich choices. Now, you don't have to eat the same sandwiches as me. You can choose whatever sandwich you like. But since we're starting this sandwich inquisition, this sandwichition, this, this <laughs> sandwich shaming episode, I have tried a new sandwich this week so that finally, hopefully, someone will, this, this person, this individual who shall not be named, will be satisfied. <laughs> this week's sandwich was on 10-grain wheat bread by Pepperidge Farm. That's many grains. Many grains. Were they ancient grains? Many grains. Were they ancient grains, uh, would you say? Uh, I'm not sure how old the bag was. I think I got it two weeks ago, so <laughs> not, not ancient. Uh, a layer of hummus. They have hummus right. on the sandwich. Definitely right. non-traditional now, right? Is that yep. not boring enough for you? A layer nope. of sliced green bell peppers on top of that hummus. Nope, disgusting. Green, green oh. bell peppers can get the fuck Love out. Love me no, some I green bell green peppers. peppers. Love me some nope. green bell peppers. Nope, 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 nope. This is a shitty sandwich. The first one was little better. A little boring. bit of sliced red onion on top of there. And then I can some, with that. Jarred, some jarred red bell peppers. Some The, the uh, fire-roasted. Like a roasted, yeah, okay. From a jar. Okay. And then yeah, another layer of hummus on the top bread, little tiny bit of olive oil, put it together, mwah, good sandwich. All right. No meat though? No no meat for you? No, it was an entirely veggie sandwich. Nice. Okay. It was a, it was a vegan sandwich. Vegan witch. Pers- personally, I wouldn't do the uh, the green bell peppers. They're not my favorite, but apart from that. I'm a, I needed a little substance, right? I needed something with some, some, some snap to it. Some Personally, teeth feel, some mouth feel. For me, for me, if you if you maybe I would do like a falafel instead of the green bell peppers. I would like love some falafel. falafel, but I'm not gonna haul out a deep fryer here in my kitchen just to make myself my lunch sandwich. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. All right. But in that sandwich, Since I guess this has I become slice... the year of the sandwich. All right. We're going to have to we're gonna have to have some more sandwich choices in the future uh, right. to assuage. They who shall not be named. Uh, but Benedict, <laughs> you also you also had an item, a food related item, related to last week as well. Yeah, we, we yeah. So I mean, if you remember, last week I said that my favorite fruit might be cherries, which apparently mm-hmm. was news to my wife, who after the show ended was like, <laughs> she was like, "What the fuck? In six years, I have never seen you eat a fucking cherry." And then I was basically <laughs> frog marched out the house to go and buy cherries, so that she could see the look on my face when I ate a cherry for the first time in six years so i think that i just thought i would share that with the, the best part of you know, the best part of it was was that when she texted me like a day after the show aired and she texted me in our little group group message thing and said i just learned from the show that benedict's favorite fruit is cherries <laughs> so you see listeners i truly share and my response you, was my at least knows. one of you listens to the show <laughs> <laughs> that's true i don't generally listen to the show but i do sometimes um I, also while we're on the housekeeping and i know you said this already on our facebook page and i think this is probably more me than you but i would just like to say rest in power to michael brooks who is sadly gone too soon he was a a big influence on me a big inspiration for for how i approach the show and and my politics generally and it's it's sad to see him die so young so 
rest in power to Michael Brooks over there. And Pour some out for homeboy. To, to the majority report and anyone who knew him, etc. It's a very Pour sad some out time. for the homeboy. Yep. Yep. Non sarcastically this time. Yep. Yeah. All, All right. right. So this fucking book. Well, since we're 15 minutes in and all we've talked about is food so far, yep. uh, why don't we return <laughs> to our book review of Triggered by Donald Trump Jr., Condom's Greatest Failure. And Benedict, <laughs> what do we read this week? Wow. This week we read chapter 15, otherwise known as 10 pages of What the Fuck Was Your Point? I cannot agree more. I cannot agree more. We also read chapter 16, it should be named. We did. But the did. joke formula is only written for one of them, so it, it doesn't yeah, really no. have to do two. No, we can, I can now. Chapter three, we read chapter 15 and 16, otherwise known as what the fuck was your point and what the fuck was your point continues. <laughs> <laughs> Works. Benedict, do you have an alternate chapter title for us this week? I do. It's Turkey Vanka. <laughs> <laughs> what? Is that supposed to be a portmanteau of of turkey and Ivanka? It was, yeah, yeah. Is that to match your favorite portmanteau we've gotten from this book of equal... (laughs) The faux trade orchestra? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's bad. Well, just also because I think Joe China is a really shitty wordplay. I'm not really sure what... Like, China Joe is No, there's no wordplay involved in that. That's just a a Donald Trump playground insult. Yeah, but China Joe would be so much better. It would wait. Are you suggesting that he thought China rhymes with Biden? Is that what you were suggesting? I am suggesting because I would believe that. I would one hundred percent believe. I'm suggesting he was like, "Huh, China kind of sounds like Biden," and it does have it does have kind of an assonantal rhyme. To be fair, China, Biden. Yeah, I get it. (laughs) I get it. Yeah, Uh, Yeah. I have. So anyway, that's why I've got Turkey Vanka. Okay, as I usually do, I have a couple uh, alternate chapter titles this week. Starting off with Donnie Deutsche Bank. Um, <laughs> Donnie Glass Houses and Ivanka and Jared who? <laughs> yeah. Because most of this chapter is claiming that the entirety of the Biden administration is nothing but nepotism. And look, we're not here to defend Joe Biden and Hunter Biden and all that shit. Most of the Ukraine stuff is nonsense. Uh, there's probably some unethical behavior going on there. We're not here to defend any of that. But there is something ridiculous and hilarious when the Trump family are the ones who are talking about nepotism going on in an administration. There really is. Yeah. That's correct. So, I, I mean, I, to be fair, it's not just the Trumps. It's also Jared Kushner. That's, uh-huh, uh, uh-huh, oh, no, true. that's, yeah, okay. All right, all right. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yep, Mary, no, it still Mary works. Ann, still so, works so if it's Jared. Yep, yep, yep. But we start this chapter off, starting off with the, the quote. With a callback. And, 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 Beautifully. Yeah, a callback that I loved so much because the callback is, about three years after I had the discussion with Rusty, the union carpenter in Wisconsin, you remember that conversation that most definitely never happened from like seven, <laughs> with eight the person that ago? definitely didn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 whose dialogue was just so conveniently perfect for Donnie Jr.'s book to meet the point he yeah. needed at that exact time. <laughs> yeah, that was great. But after that, uh, he's talking about a time when Joe Biden visited a union job site as part of his kickoff for his 2020 campaign. That's about the point of it, and he, he's going to throw in here, blah, blah, blah. Same thing we heard back in that chapter. I don't remember which one it was, but the, the Democrats are not the real union party one. Uh, the real no. union party is the Republicans who, who want to take away your rights to unionize. Uh, that's the real yeah. union party. That's, you know that's the one we're talking Cause, about. Because unionization is cancel culture, Kevin. <laughs> it is people Everything canceling is cancel employers. Culture. 
<laughs> and that brings me up. The other, the, I had debated which hot take I wanted to go with this week, right? Whether it was going to be the the things I get older. But literally, I was just down before we started recording about half an hour before riding the Peloton bike, so I went with that one. But my other one was that the joke form that has come in vogue over the last few days of, I had a joke about blank, but it was blank. It's so lame. I'm, I hate I'm it. so tired of it already, I and it's only it. been going around for like 48 hours. I hate it. I it's agree. Awful. No, that's a, that, I, but I think that is just a correct take. <sighs> but we get to the next page, top of the next page, where he says, But this kind of arrogance, purporting to be a regular Joe while actively working against labor, shouldn't be surprising to you. In which I wrote in 48, 50, 60, whatever point font, that's literally your thing! Yeah. That's yeah, what no, you that's... do. We spent chapters of this book you trying to pretend you're an average Joe. I think I just dissociate things. I think I I try and take my problem is my brain just doesn't work with this le- level of like disingenuousness, do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I some I think it, the it, the way I cope with it is I just kind of switch off and try and deal with each argument he presents on its merits without being like huh no but when you said before that that <laughs> that that doesn't carry over my brain like my and brain that, just that shuts is down the difficulty of do doing that. this book chapter by chapter right yeah that, yeah that is the difficulty of doing this because we do it you know and then we set it aside for a while before we go back and forget about sometimes all the stuff he said in the past which contradicts the shit he's saying now so he gives us an example of here of how, because uh, his whole point with that about him not being an actual Joe was that if anyone says the Democratic Party isn't really the party of labor, then they're going to call them a racist, blah, 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 blah. And his example of how that happens is, quote, If you think I'm exaggerating, just look at what happens to any woman or ethnic minority who dares to stray from the Democrat Party and its liberal agenda. They're excommunicated, burned as a witch. When Kanye West put on a MAGA hat and went to the White House, he was attacked as though he had just thrown a bag of kittens into the ocean. Sorry, Kevin, is that famous blue-collar worker Kanye West there that you're (laughs) referring to? And famous blue-collar worker Candace Owens, Owens who is about to talk about (laughs) <laughs> we know my love for Candace Owens. That was also on the list of books uh, suggested for patrons, and nobody voted for it. Good. <laughs> nobody wanted Candace Owens. <laughs> but he says, quote, When Candace Owens, the black female political commentator with whom I've done events many times, decided to testify in front of Congress about how harmful political correctness can be to young black women, she was labeled as a Nazi and threats were made on her life. Eh, it might have something to do with the fact that she had praised Hitler right around that yeah. time. <laughs> Also, she, again, I love it when people are like, political correctness is super harmful to people like me while having the huge platform that they have. Mm-hmm. Like, because of their anti-political correctness standpoint. It's uh, just, did it, I ever it's tell you about how she shops in my Whole Foods? Oh, I she, don't want to know. Yeah, I, I live above a Whole Foods, which she shops in. Uh, I know because she once posted a, a photo about not you know a sign that said you had to wear a mask to go in on one of her social medias, uh, and it was the sign on the Whole Foods I live above. <laughs> so yeah, she, she's here in D.C. It's great stuff. Great. But he also brings up when Candace Owens and Charlie Kirk were eating in a Philly diner when a Antifa mob attacked them, screaming obscenities and throwing bottles at them. Uh, that was the time, which you may be familiar with, when Charlie Kirk got a bunch of water dumped on him. Yeah. That was that, was that time. Yeah. I, I, I think I read Which is just like, Charlie, I, Charlie Kirk makes about $300,000 a year as the head of Charlie Points. Jesus Christ. 
how the fuck does his grift make that much money? We need a grift, Benedict. I know. We need a grift. This isn't enough of grift. And that may not- be wrong, but it's definitely hundreds of thousands of dollars. <laughs> yeah. And and so there's not much for the next couple of paragraphs. The only thing I, I highlighted to point out was he did write the word shit out entirely, uh, which I only bring up because throughout this book, we've seen times when he has censored himself and oh, times yeah. when he has not, where he will write the word, but he will asterisk, asterisk it just to, to blank it out. And then I guess he forgets that he does that and writes the curse words out in entirety. I have no idea why he does this. But now, finally, three pages into this chapter, we're going to get into Hunter Biden and how he went along with one of Biden's trips to China. This is the time when you'll probably hear throughout this campaign as it heats up. And we've heard previously in the past about Hunter Biden getting a one point five billion dollar deal with China uh, shortly after that meeting. So illegal, obviously, which, look, like I said, we're not here to defend Joe Biden or Hunter Biden. There's there's nothing in that for us. Yeah, we're voting for them because anything's better. We're voting for Biden because anything's I, better than I'm Donald not Trump. Because I well, can't. You're, you're not I would like to, to, <laughs> <laughs> to distance myself from these allegations of vote fraud. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I mean, it's let me let me put it this way: voting for Joe Biden is better than stormtroopers with unmarked vans roaming through the streets of the United States and and. Yeah taking people away that I, i'm just gonna i'm gonna go out there, gonna on a limb. That out there i'm yeah. just gonna go out there it's just better than that um i'm sorry we don't have someone better we would have liked bernie we don't have it we gotta work with what we've got but like i said this 1.5 billion dollar deal i did some digging into it and there's really no evidence that that it was 1.5 billion dollars that was the amount that hunter biden's firm was trying to get for this investment fund that they were putting together there's no evidence that China, which is the, the Bank of China, actually gave $1.5 billion. Uh, they, according to Hunter Biden's lawyer, they got about $4 million from the Bank of China on that particular transaction. Uh, I can't verify either way, but it's definitely irresponsible to just go out there and claim that this is all true all the time, $1.5 billion. And we know that they just like to say whatever's the most extreme thing possible because it sounds the best for their cause. And again- My favorite, sorry, just to interrupt there. My favorite bit of this when he's like, he's trying to emphasize how big a number this is. And he goes, yes. that's one comma five, zero, 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 zero. He clearly forgets he was doing the commas. And he just goes five, zero, 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 zero. And he wrote, and he didn't just type the number zero, he wrote out the word zero, 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 zero. Yeah, he got the number of zeros right, unfortunately. I was really hoping that he wouldn't have done, but he did. It sadly. would have been nice if he got it right. And, and I should mention, I don't know if we mentioned this last week, but the new Donnie Jr. book is self-published. I'm pretty sure we did mention that. We did, yeah. Uh, we did. But, but I can only expect there's going to be even more mistakes in that book than in this one, which is hard to do. But I think I kind of, I probably will be getting that book for myself just to take a look. And I want to I want to track the mistakes. I want to count oh, yeah. the mistakes. You should. You should just I, I want to just get editor. the PDF version and upload it to Word and look for all the squiggles. That's what <laughs> I want to do. So again, the next couple of pages, there's just not really anything here. He talks about Joe Biden and the firm he started with John Kerry's, I think it was nephew or son. I don't remember which one it was. Um, and he talks about China. China's evil. China's terrible. We passed a bill back in the year 2000 that was the Permanent Normal Trade Relations Act, which Joe Biden voted in, for, in favor of. And he says this. this is the only thing I picked out of all this, this pointless bullshit. 
on the Senate, on the floor of the Senate, Biden said he saw no reason to think that trade deals with China would hurt U.S. manufacturing. Now, he did not quote that. He did not put quotations marks around it. Of course he didn't. Because here's what the actual quote from the congressional record is of that particular incident, where he said, quote, this is Joe Biden said this. I agree, indeed, unlike some of my colleagues on both sides of this question, pro and con. I do not see the question of China's trade status simply in terms of the economic implications for the United States. I do not anticipate a dramatic explosion in American jobs suddenly created to fuel a flood of exports to China, nor do I see the collapse of the American manufacturing economy. As China, a nation with the impact on the world economy about the size of the Netherlands, suddenly becomes our major economic competitor. Both the opponents and proponents of PNTR, the Permanent Normal Trade Relations, I believe have vastly oversold the economic impact of this legislation. For the record, let me say a few things about, the, about that aspect of this issue. First and foremost, this vote will not determine China's entry into the World Trade Organization. With or without our vote of support here, China will become a member of the only international institution created by, and yes, strongly influenced by, the advanced industrial economies of the world in a position to formulate and enforce rules of fairness and openness on international trade. Now, the only reason I read that out is because the primary reason behind this entire thing was the hope was if China becomes more entrenched in the international economy, the glo global connected society, it will help to encourage them to not engage in all the uh, individual rights violations that they've been doing throughout much of their history. That was the major hope behind this act was to get them more involved in the world and hopefully lessen all of the, the crimes against their citizens that they were committing. Now, has that had much of an impact? I don't know whether we can say that it has. Certainly shortly after, shortly after that happened, Hu Jintao became the premier of China and led through a period of China's history where they did see a lessening of the severe restrictions on cultural issues in China. So maybe it did. But then we got Xi Jinping not too long after, around 2012. So who's to say what was the, the outcome of that? But uh, to say, as Donnie Jr. here is, says, that Biden says he saw no reason to think that trade deals would hurt U.S. manufacturing, what I wanted to point out was basically he was much more wishy-washy than that, where he really said, I think people are overselling it on both sides. Yeah, and, he said not a great deal. Yeah, and as, as we know, right, the real thing that's hurting the U.S. manufacturing economy is automation. Yeah, we've lost some jobs to China. We've lost far more to automation than we've lost to, jo lost to jobs being exported overseas. Right, and that, that, that is a serious problem that the next iteration of serious government is going to have to deal with and have a plan for. for I like how you said the next iteration years. of serious government. Yeah, I mean, this isn't a <laughs> no. serious government. How no, it's not at all. Look at it. Just the, the way the way they've approached the bureaucracy and and the civil service. I don't know what you call that here, but is it called the civil service? Just like career career bureaucrats, I guess. Yeah, yeah civil service. I, I think that's just yeah. a common term that covers covers government employees. Yeah. Just, just the way they've approached that shows that they're not taking it seriously. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I live in D.C., man. The, yeah. the the things going on in this town with our government agencies for the first several years of this administration were just ridiculous. They just didn't know what the hell they were doing. They just put political cronies in charge of departments who just wrecked everything. And literally, the th even the things they were trying to do to repeal regulations and things like that, they failed miserably because they didn't listen to any of the career employees of any of those administrations about the requirements and the things you have to do just in, in order to be able to do the basic shit they wanted. So I, I get what you're saying. I think it goes a little bit beyond that, but 
I don't think it's worth it for us to, to quibble about it right now. Because no, no, we get to the next page where he says this fantastic couple of sentences, which goes, quote, Now about Hunter. I've been in the political eye for just a little over four years. During that time, I have been accused of colluding with Russian spies, trading on my father's position for hundreds of millions of dollars worth of business deals, and sympathizing with white supremacists. All true. All true. <laughs> I mean, he goes on, obviously, to say, none of that's true. Unfortunately, it all is, though. Which I just, you're not supposed to say that out loud. You don't no. say those things out loud because we all know that they are true. And yeah. then a few sentences later, he goes, and he's talking about this is why the left attacks him. Add that I'm a hunter, a shooter, and someone who doesn't abide by political correctness, and the target on my back gets bigger. And that period. And then, then add my Twitter account. <laughs> and it's no wonder I've become the left's public enemy number two. Do you, do you know what I think the saddest thing Even is? Even in an old book, he can't call himself number one. But I think the saddest thing is that no one really cares about him. No, you know I mean? that's like, what's no, great nobody, about it. He's not really anybody's public enemy. He's like a bit of a prick, but like nobody, I have, like, people may be harassing him on Twitter, but like I can think of 10 people off the top of my head that are more of a problem for the left than Donald Trump Jr. Here's what I'll say. When you go to Donnie Jr.'s Twitter account or Facebook or wherever, and you look at the comments and, and you look at retweets and shares of his posts... No one is taking it seriously. Like you said, no one is taking it seriously. He's just treated as an enormous joke. Yeah. Because that's all he is. Yeah, exactly. And like Bill Barr, Mitch McConnell, Ron DeSantis. Like I can think of, as they say. Like, yeah, you can see people who go and who are like even... trying to rebut the points that he's making. People are just yeah. commenting dumbass on Donnie <laughs> Jr.'s stuff. Or fucking that's all that's required. Up, lapping it up and loving it. Like some people do love this shit, which is very weird sure. to me and I will never understand it, but... In 20 years, most of those people will be dead. Everyone 60 and older. Who knows? Um, I don't know. Well, they're not on social media. I don't know who Donnie... And no, they, they are. They are. Who they is, are. Old here's people are on social media. Who is Donnie Jr.'s electoral demographic? Boomers. I, are you serious? Yeah, yeah. You think it's boomers? Yeah. I think... Well, I think it's got to be refined beyond that. I think boomers might be in there. I, I've always thought it's more of the late high school and college-age asshole uh, college Republican no, douchebag. It's not. That's it's who boomers. I've always and pictured as right, Donnie the, the Jr.'s last, people. The last meme I saw that he shared on his Instagram page... Was it, was it, ben, Gar was it a ben Garrison drawing? No, no, no. <laughs> but I have seen those too. It was... Uh, and this shows you how seriously they're taking the coronavirus. It was how to get rid of the coronavirus by fall. And it was... Donald Trump calling Hillary Clinton saying, hey, Hillary, I hear the coronavirus is getting ready to testify against you. Ha. Ha ha. Yeah. Isn't that the ha, most ha, boomer? Ha. That is the most boomer shit you've ever heard. Like that, that is only enjoyed by Okay, boomers. but here's my thing. Here's my and thing. I, look, Those college sec, Republican douchebags have there the are same some sense of humor. There are some wonderful, wonderful boomers. They are not the boomers that like Donald Trump Jr. Sure. But, but here's my point. Those college Republican douchebags have the same sense of humor as I the boomers know. because that's know. where they get it from. Because they don't have, and I seriously think this, they don't have a culture of comedy and entertainment to glom onto, right? And so this is like looking back at my time in that mind space when I was like that. Everything I was getting, it was coming from sources like Breitbart 
and Drudge and shit like that. That's because Drudge headlines are all fucking, you know, distorted, supposedly jokes. Not even jokes, really. He, he doesn't try. Uh, but about what's really going on in the world. And it's all fucking boomer energy. It's all that same lame bullshit because they don't have a culture of comedy. Think about when David Rubin tried to do comedy. Think about when Dave he tried to does. do stand-up. Hey, uh, have you heard about these ideas? My, uh... <laughs> you guys uh, heard about cancel culture? Huh? Yeah, huh? you guys, what about this? Uh, What's up with you guys this? heard about huh? these liberals? These SJWs? <laughs> They don't have that culture of comedy. So I really think that the college Republicans, they're on that same level. And that's the people I see most active online with the, the you know, the Donnie Jr. and the Nick Fuentes and the fucking Andy No shit and all that. That's who I see pushing it. It's all very boring anyway. This whole chapter is very it boring. Very much I'm very is. bored by the, it. The next, the next couple of pages are all just the, this Peter Schweitzer book, famous for getting caught lying very openly about a meeting that happened in a Paris hotel, when a Paris Sheraton, when there was no Sheraton in Paris. Oh, uh, that's fun. Yeah, he got caught lying about that in a different book, not in this particular book, but his book uh, about uh, Hillary and, and I guess it was called Secret Empires, How the American Political Class Hides Corruption and Enriches Family and Friends. There might have been some that. true shit in there. No, I have no interest in it, especially when I looked into him, because this is what I do with my research, and found out he had been caught lying so openly about something so easily checkable, uh, like the fact that there was no Sheraton in Paris in the time that he claimed a clandestine meeting happened there for one of the things he was trying to prove. So it's all just going on. It moves from the China stuff Bland, blase, boring shit about China. He repeats the 1.5 billion stuff, uh, says swamp a couple of times, complains that Hunter Biden doesn't get covered in the same way that he does. That's about it. Then he moves on to Ukraine. Finally, we get Ukraine. And I was surprised we hadn't had more Ukraine in this book, but I realized it wasn't as big of a feature focus of Donald Trump and his family yeah, until, yeah, all, yeah, until, uh, until everything happened. Until Biden was the fairly obvious. So I think, wasn't this released before? This was certainly written before Biden would have announced, right? The, 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 so Biden had announced, but what I'm talking about is when the phone call was leaked. This, was, this book was released before the leaked Ukrainian phone call. So that's when I think the Ukrainian stuff really became the huge talking point because they had to rebut the very open and obvious attempt by Donald Trump to get dirt on a political opponent and push for a foreign government to, you know, help him with an election. So uh, that's why I think there hasn't been so much of that in this book as I think maybe since we're living in current times and reading something that was written in the past that we would have expected. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, but I, I would imagine most because Biden announced in April of last year and this was released in like October, November, I think. So I would mm -hmm. imagine most of this would have been written before before they knew they had to try and label Biden with something. Yeah. But I mean, we only get like two pages of the Ukraine stuff, because like I said, there just wasn't a ton there with the Ukraine stuff until they started trying to dig up all that dirt because yeah. Trump got caught with his hands in the cookie jar. Right. And it's just the same lame nonsense. There's nothing new in it. We've all heard it because we live in the present and we know everything that's basically in there. But then on the last page of this chapter, he gets into a little bit of, of I think, his, his solution for all of these problems. So he says, quote, So we have to fight fire with fire. If liberals get to investigate, so should we. 
As Peter Schweitzer wrote in an op-ed for the New York Post, great place for an op-ed, <laughs> if a two-year investigation of President Trump, Russia, and the Trump family was justified to ensure the president isn't compromised, an investigation into Joe Biden, China, Ukraine, and the Biden family is imperative. To which I can only say, fine. Fucking do it. I don't care. Yeah. I would, I would like to say this is the same shit that I always say, where they can't imagine a world where everyone isn't as corrupt as they are. They really can't. And I know what, what he wants is the politically motivated, grandstanding Senate and House investigations where fucking Jim Jordan gets to sit there in his sweaty shirt sleeves and yell about how angry he is, right? Not like an FBI investigation looking into actual issues. Um, so I, I, I have no... There's there, like the your summation of this this chapter, ten pages of what the fuck's the point was so yeah. on brand because there's nothing in this chapter. It's so boring. Joe China, the only incident he has to talk about is his son doing that deal for whatever it was amount of dollars. It definitely wasn't one point five billion like he claims. And then Joe Biden voted in favor of a bill which literally most of the House and Senate voted in. It was a bipartisan bill to get. Yep. Get China on permanent, uh, whatever, a PNT, whatever. I forget at this point, and I'm not going back. I'm not flipping the pages back to get it. So that's all he had in this. But as I always do, I will read the final paragraph of this chapter, which is as follows. Quote, As the election approaches, there are some things you probably won't be able to avoid. First, there will be the inevitable town hall events during which Democrats will try to tap into some of the off-the-cuff magic that got my father into the White House in 2016. Rolling up their sleeves and putting one foot on a stool while they do their best, gee, that's a good point, faces. There will also be a thousand photo ops with blue-collar workers, all screen-tested by the campaign staffs for diversity and camera readiness. These will probably end with the candidate promising to keep jobs in America and look after the working class. If you're lucky, the candidate might even be wearing a cute little hard hat. Please know that no matter how uplifting they may seem, the photos are all bullshit, especially if Joe or Bernie is wearing the hard hat. I just love that paragraph because that's literally describing his father. Yeah, yeah. When when the truck comes out and he gets to toot yes. toot in the truck. Toot yeah. toot the truck. Everyone loves toot toot the truck. That would have been way better than Thomas the, Trank, the tank engine. Thomas the train engine? I don't remember what Thomas was. Thomas the tank engine. Was it tank engine or train engine? Tank engine. Tank are you engine. sure about that? Yeah. Is this yeah, another yeah, case yeah. of what's that thing where everyone has uh, the Mandela effect? Yeah. Everyone yeah, thinks no, that Thomas he said, Luke, engine. I am your, no, I'm your father. Uh, I don't know. Anyways, that's it for chapter 15. It's time to move on to chapter 16. The opposition. An inconvenient truth. The Democratic candidates are out of touch, out of their minds, and frankly don't give a damn about the average American. That is the chapter title. That wasn't me quoting it. That was, that was just the chapter title. <laughs> He's very bad at those subtitles. Yeah, I yeah, I didn't I honestly I didn't even do an alternate chapter title for this, I'm sorry. Neither did I, because uh, I forgot. But yeah, this chapter too. is essentially him just ranking the candidates who are up against his father who were at the time of this book's publishing, supposedly going to be up against his father in the twenty twenty election. So we get a whole field of them and basically third grade insults is about the level he rises to in here. Yeah, I don't think we have to go over many of these, but I mean we can go we can we can look at some of them for sure. But we do get but, but, so he has a short introduction, like two pages before he actually gets to the candidates, right? Where there were just a few things that stuck out to me. Where he says, "Quote: I've said it a few times already in this book, but it bears repeating. Donald J. Trump single-handedly pulled American conservatism back from the brink of extinction, and he did it by ignoring every single rule of American politics." I think, and call me crazy, but conservatism and Republicans 
are vastly different things, right? Because in my mind, conservatism is resisting change, and that's it. I think we're at a point in American history where the Republican Party is not trying to resist change. We've been in a status quo for a long time, which is more left, more progressive-ish than at any point ever in our history. And they are the ones trying to push a rather drastic change towards a hellscape future of nightmarish evangelical theocracy and corporatism is what the fuck yeah, it is. Yeah, I don't know if it's even the evangelical thing. I think you're right. It's corporatism. And it's, it's unlike any conser- like right-wing party, any serious right-wing party anywhere in the world, really, apart from, I guess, Brazil, probably. Bolsonaro is fairly similar. But... I mean, and I guess, you know, there are people like Marine Le Pen in France and, and other right-wing challenges to the status quo, but, but they're seen and reported as being what they are rather than the mainstream right-wing party. You know, Marine Le Pen is widely seen as the fascist candidate or the proto-fascist candidate who, like, is not Call, the call me only... crazy, but someone who runs the party started by her neo-Nazi father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could just call her a fascist. You don't. Yeah, see, no, you don't need enough. to say neo. I said proto actually. Okay. So that's fine. Um, but that's what. But she's not like the only right-wing option. You know what I mean? Whereas right. here in in the U.S., Republicans are like it's proto-fascism or nothing, folks. Like, right. and I think the thing is, right, the right in this country does a much better job of getting everyone to group behind them and say this is it fucking go for it, right? And I think part of that is they would not be able to run a farther right party because everyone would just say, oh, those are the Nazis, right? So, but they have had this comfortable detente with all of those racists and fucking Nazis and white supremacists for so long that they've just gotten everyone to glom on behind this party, which a lot of the shit in there, right, the corporatism shit doesn't have anything to do with a lot of the white supremacist shit. Nothing to do with it at all. But they've managed to get all the white supremacists parroting the corporatist lines. It's a big tent of corporatists and Nazis. They're better at a big tent than the left is. That's that's the end of my analysis there. They're much better at a big, pointy, white tent with two eye holes cut in it than the left (laughs) is. So we get into Donnie Jr.'s analysis of the 2020 candidates, starting off with Joe Biden. And what is there to say after the... Previous chapter right before this was Joe China, and he's basically just repeating the same shit. The only other thing I've noticed that he threw in was, if Kamala Harris can hand the guy a smackdown, what do you think DJT will do to him? Yeah. Which is honestly like, God love Kamala Harris for putting the smackdown on Biden and pointing out where he's deficient, right? But like, Donald Trump doesn't have what fucking Kamala Harris has. Kamala Harris was a fucking attorney and a damn good one, whether you agree with what she did in California or not. There's many things I obviously disagree with there, but she knows how to fucking put someone in a corner. Donnie Donnie Trump just knows how to throw around playground insults. That's all the fuck he can do. My favorite bit about this is that he keeps talking, not him, but Donald Trump now keeps talking about how he passed the dementia test, which I think is the funniest development there has been in a presidential election for a long, long time. Woman, man, cat, camera, house, whatever the fuck it is, man. It's like woman, man, person. Oh, no, I failed it. Shit. Shit, We all failed the test we didn't take. Damn it. (laughs) If you, listener, can name the woman, man, cat, house, camera, uh, then you, you have apparently 
Are you able to be president of the United I States? Think is what woman, I'm, I'm man, told. person, camera, TV, I think was the, I think that the sounds about right. Something like that. Uh, but the next one, let's move on for that because that's boring. The next one is Bernie Sanders, where the, he puts in reason not to vote for him. This quote from the 1980s, and the quote is in full. Quote, it's funny sometimes American journalists talk about how bad a country is because people are lining up for food. That is a good thing. In other countries, people don't line up for food. The rich get the food and the poor starve to death. I mean, Benedict, he's not wrong. Would it also surprise you to learn that that's an out of context distortion from Dear no, Donnie Jr.? But also, because allow me to not, read you. Even hold on, can I just say, even if it's not out of context, yeah. that's not necessarily wrong. Yeah, I, I, go, I know, I agree. But let me give you the full context of this situation. This came in 1985 after Bernie Sanders had gone on a visit to Nicaragua and was questioned by reporters following his trip. Uh, he was asked by a reporter about the most needed resource in Nicaragua, and his answer was, quote, One aspect, what is going on in Nicaragua, and again, what has to be understood, is the economic problems of Nicaragua are not unique in Central America or in the Third World. In fact, as poor as Nicaragua is, one of the nice things that I saw is that as a result of government policy, direct government policy in terms of the distribution of food, people are hungry or people are not hungry by in and by large. I think it's fair to say, you know, it's a funny, some, it's funny sometimes, American journalists talk about how bad a country is that people are lining up for food. That's a good thing. In other countries, people don't line up for food. The rich get the food and the poor starve to death. In Nicaragua, people are not starving to death. So it's a very different quote in that context, I think, yeah. than the way Danny I, well, Jr. I don't, I don't even necessarily, I mean, that's the sense that I got from it, even in its out of context nature. Yeah. Like, hey, some countries, no matter how shitty it is, will not let people starve to death, which right. is a good thing. Right. And that, you know, when you have, especially now, like in the midst of the coronavirus, when people are going hungry all over America and like missing meals all over the place, left, right and center, like going to food banks in a way they never have before. Mm -hmm. If you can't read that quote and think, hey, maybe we should make sure no one goes hungry, mm -hmm. then I don't know what it's to say. It's literally the best thing we do to give food to people who need food. There yeah. is no better thing that we do. You want my money? Take it to give food to people. I have exactly. no problem. Give them the food. Take also, my money and give them the food. I would food. like to point out that the economic situation in Nicaragua was largely a result of U.S. foreign <laughs> policy. This is also true. But the reason that stuck out to me in particular is at no point in the paragraph, the entire paragraph he wrote about Bernie Sanders, one paragraph, that's all he did, does he mention that it had anything to do with Nicaragua, Bernie's trip? He portrays it as though he's talking about it being a good thing that there are food lines in America. And you mentioned, yes, the distortion he's going for is it's good to have poor people, people in food lines, whatever the fuck he's going for, it's something along those lines. Obviously... That's what he's talking about. Bernie was talking about it's good to give food to people who need food. Even if they have to line up for it sometimes. Yes. If the lines are the problem, we can do it in like a a staggered mass or we could do like everyone stand in a parking lot six feet away from each other, obviously, with face masks on. And yeah. just in a large, a large clump, we can do it in clumps instead of lines. If that's your problem, yeah. we can figure out another system, you know, like food stamps or EBT cards, which we have. The, the, the problem, of course, comes problem. when when you can't get food unless think, you're in that line. I think that's the, the charity problem. is his problem. Yeah, I think true. the helping people is his problem. That's true. But yeah, the, any country where you can't get food unless you're in the line for it to be given out to you, that's probably not he, a great thing. I think thing. Donnie Jr.'s problem is if we taxed him at the level that we should, 
in order to make sure that we can take care of the needy in our society, he would have to go on one fewer overseas hunting trip per year than he currently does. It's probably his <laughs> issue. That fucking schmuck. Next person, Elizabeth Warren. And he starts this one off with, with what I love because he's dropped this throughout the book. And every time he does, it just pings in my mind like the kid who came back from summer vacation trying to tell you about his girlfriend who lives in Canada. Because every time he drops Kimberly Guilfoyle, he says, my girlfriend. <laughs> just my so girlfriend. Is it, I read the other day that she used to be married to, was she married to Gavin Newsom? Is that no. true? No, Kimberly Guilfoyle, are you shitting me? No, I you made I that, that up. I you 100% made, made that up. She was never, ever married to Gavin Newsom. Yes, she was for five years between 2001 and 2006. You're shitting me. Jesus Christ, she was married to fucking Gavin Newsom? <laughs> every time I say, so like someone put that on Twitter and was like, every time I remember that, my brain just short circuits and has to reset. Jesus Christ. I had no idea of that. And you you understand why I completely didn't believe you about that. <laughs> I 100% do. I was like, what? No, that can't be right. Uh, Donnie, how does it feel that Gavin hit that before you? Oh, I know that's, I know that's incredibly misogynistic. But it is, yeah. yeah. Maybe take that She's out. a horrible like person. That. He's a horrible person. You know my policy is generally not to make fun of things like people's looks or things on that misogynistic side, except when they're hideous people on the inside. In which case, fuck them, is my rule. Which goes to the next line he says after that, where he says, if you haven't seen her, and if you haven't, you must have been locked in a fallout shelter somewhere. Kimberly is beautiful, a perfect combination of dark Irish and Puerto Rican princess. To which I wrote in the margins, no, she looks like the bride of Chucky gave up on the dye job and became a human person. <laughs> she is scary looking. I will say that about Kimberly Guilfoyle. But this, this portion, which is presumably about Elizabeth Warren, literally spends more time, more page space, talking about Kimberly Guilfoyle than it does about Elizabeth Warren. It does. That's true. I think he knew that he, I think he got into an argument with Kimberly before he was writing this chapter. I'll show you, I'm going to put you in the fucking book. You'll be happy when you read this shit. You're not going to read it. <laughs> I mean, like, when I give you the book and tell you to open to this page, you're going to be fucking happy about it when you see that I said you were pretty. But the whole point of this Elizabeth Warren chapter is the Native American thing. That's literally all he talks about. Yeah, and then and, he says she's condescending, basically. Sure, it's, yeah, that, that's it. That's literally it, right? And we, we've talked in the past about my whole thing with the Elizabeth Warren Native American thing and why I understand it is because every white girl I've ever dated has been told by their grandfather they had Native American heritage, right? And so, like, I get why you would believe that. Maybe it was irresponsible when you're someone on her level to keep saying that's true, but I understand completely why she believed it. Yeah. Um, it's and, not and, untrue. She does have some heritage. Like it's not enough to be, you know. Right. It, it, it's one of those familial law things, L O R E, where it's like, hey, this is the thing, and then you're just like, why would you ever question that? Like, you know, I get true. It. But the only part that really ticked me off—I mean, it all ticked me off—but the part that really got to me was the erasure of Elizabeth Warren's entire career in law before the Harvard job, because that's the only one that these people ever like to bring up, as though that's, right, because they have this imaginary history of her where she was nothing and then got the Harvard job by claiming she had Native American heritage, when in reality, she had taught at, I think, 
five other different law schools before getting yeah. the Harvard job and had a long history of illustrious an illustrious career uh, in law of writing very insightful things about areas of the law. Um, so I, that just annoys the hell out of me. I also, I also love how they like, like to bring out these big like university educations and l- label them as elitist while also spending two and a half chapters on how they went to Wharton. Like, <laughs> it just doesn't make sense to me. But can again, we say like, that Donnie Jr. really went to Wharton? Well, no, I never. But you know what I mean. Like, it, it's again, I think reading the chapters in isolation, you forget how hypocritical that is. But I like, I just remembered and it made me mad. So the next one up, Kamala Harris. And the entirety of this uh, paragraph, two paragraphs we get about her here, is the same things that the left attacks Kamala Harris for, yep. which is her hard on crime stance. Uh, which uh, you may, in the current week and last several months, uh, he may be regretting writing this uh, about Kamala Harris and her harsh on crime stance when she was the Attorney General of California, especially given, you know, the stormtroopers. But the yep. one thing that, that I don't think we brought up at all in this book, and it has been mentioned, I think, once or twice, and annoyed the hell out of me, is again... His claim that his dad got the Criminal Justice Reform First Step Act passed. Oh, yeah, yeah. He loves to talk about that. Which is everything but the truth, right? Literally, Donald Trump was against the First Step Act until Jared Kushner lobbied him to sign it. Literally, the entirety of the way through the process. And I think, and I want to correct myself, because I think in a previous episode, I had said something like um, it was introduced by a Democrat or something like that. The reality is the, the bill that finally became the First Step Act was introduced by Chuck Grassley and Dick Durbin. So it was a bipartisan effort in the Senate as S-3747, Senate Bill 3747. So that was the final bill that got passed. It literally was bipartisan. And would it surprise you, Benedict, to learn that uh, the only people who voted against that bill in the House or the Senate were Republicans? No, it wouldn't. That would nope. be extremely not surprising. In fact, the opposite of surprise me, whatever that is. So it's a little fucking crazy when they keep hampering on how Donald Trump got criminal justice reform passed when he literally did nothing the entirety of the way through the process until Jared told him to sign it. That was the only thing he did, period. And I just, I don't want to, there were a great number of people, including law professors of mine, who worked on that bill trying to get it passed, going up to Capitol Hill and lobbying Congress to get that passed, right? I have a law professor who was a felon, right? And then in in prison, wrote, um, wrote briefs for the Supreme Court, got out, became a lawyer, right? He lobbied hard for the First Step Act. It was a big deal when that shit went through. And Donald Trump doesn't deserve any of the fucking credit. And it's not a perfect bill, right? There are other bills that need to follow. That's why it's called the First Step Act. Cory Gardner introduced the Second Step Act. You literally can't make that up. In 2019, he introduced the or the Next Step Act, which, of course, because it's in this Senate, has not been moved forward by Mitch McConnell. Because fuck Mitch McConnell. What a shock! But look, yeah, I, again, I'm passionate about the First Step Act because it's it's look, it was a great step in the right direction. We need to keep going there. Donald Trump doesn't deserve the slightest bit of credit for getting that done. Not at all. So it pisses me off when they try and, and claim anything for it. No, I get that. I get that. Yeah. Um, I would just say, like, the, the the one bit of this chapter that Donald Trump Jr. has got, he mostly got the order the, and the odds of the candidates succeeding, I would say, mostly correct. Right? So, I mean, he thought Joe, Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, and Bernie Sanders, he got as the most likely to succeed. And I think he's right about that. 
Which is my one piece of credit for Donald Trump Jr. this this round. Fine. You you know my feeling on giving him credit for anything. I know, I know. Because the next ones he goes through, Mayor Pete. Mostly, his criticism is, what's up with the no jacket thing? Yeah, it's weird. Literally, that's most of his criticism there. That and he's the mayor of a small town. Woo! I guess you watched MSNBC one day, saw a criticism. Yeah. Uh, next, next one, Beto O'Rourke, and his entire thing is Irish guy who uses a Hispanic first name. Same bullshit criticism we've seen from everyone. Like, and we got into those arguments when Beto was running uh, in Texas, right? You and I, and you were all for him, you know, getting into the pr- the Democratic primary. And I was like, fuck it, we don't need someone who's lukewarm at best on progressive issues, yeah. and. Uh, whatever it does it doesn't matter to me at this no, point. no i just i thought i thought a broad field wasn't a bad thing and i think i was right so i st- we ended up with joe fucking biden yeah but you 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 also get more ideas on the table than than coronating joe biden look i, I don't want to i don't want to go out there and fully agree with all of my um rose twitter bio friends out there uh, who think that everything was a scam and the entire field was set up to take Bernie out because, th- look, the numbers just don't add up that way. But it sure as hell may have been easier for a progressive candidate if there weren't a shitload of other people in the field no, to, I get, actually, to I, get someone I, else. I disagree. I think the, the way it, it turned out, he actually had a better run because the field was more split until at least Super Tuesday um, when they all dropped out in a coordinated manner so that Biden could win. But having said that, like, I think that because Bernie had that strong start, that then meant that he's probably him and Warren both have been brought more into Joe's camp to try and to try and build a policy platform for the election. So I think it has turned out pretty well, actually. You're going to lose us all of our, our Rose Twitter listeners. I, you know, I'm a Rose Twitter. <laughs> of course, myself. I am. Like, too. I know. am, too. You don't have a Twitter. You know, I, I mean, I like we're, we're sort of on the same page, right? I'm just like, honestly, I think the difference is there was no Hillary Clinton running against him, right? The massive hatred for Hillary Clinton in 2016, I think, propelled Sanders further in that one than it did this year, because there just wasn't that sort of hatred for Joe Biden that there was for Hillary Clinton. Yeah, just, that's true. I think that was a huge part of it, right? And and like you and I are on the same page. We both would have preferred Bernie, but fuck it, we well, got you Joe Biden. You would have Biden. preferred Warren, wouldn't you? I mean, like, well, yeah, because Joe Warren, because Elizabeth Warren's fucking brilliant. Yeah, no, I agree. She was but, my, I mean, she was my, she was your pick. first choice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. she was my first choice, right? But fuck it, we're we are where we are now. So yeah, and, even but if also, even if and even if Bernie had gotten all of Liz's votes, he still wouldn't have won against no. the, this field the way it was. So I would say I I am. <laughs> And this is going to come back to bite me, I'm sure. But the way mm. Biden is setting this up and to run this, I am much more optimistic than I was when I, when I first realized he was going to win. I am much no, more I'm, optimistic I'm about you. the fact that he has brought people on board that are genuinely progressive. I'm with you, right? And so, he, but he has a... How do we get from this book into discussing the fucking election? Um, uh, I, I'm with you in as much as there are both people who are more progressive on his team now and people who are more fucking corporatist, uh, middle-of-the-road, centrist Democrats who are there, right? They're yeah, both but I them. assumed it would be Alternatively, all right. That was my right. assumption. And I'm, I'm with you on that. I certainly hope that we're going to get much more progressive ideas out of a Biden administration. I know we're going to get much more progressive ideas out of a Biden administration than we would out of a Trump administration. 
but I'm hoping it's more progressive than I expect it will be. That's as far yeah. as I will say. I'm mm-hmm. only hopeful. And look, if you're someone who's listening to our show and is going, I'm not going to vote for Biden because he's not my perfect candidate. Well, Please vote for I, Biden. I can't help you there. I, well, they're not going to listen to us. They're going to turn off the show because we just were talking like this. They probably turned it off five minutes ago when we started talking about this, right? But like the option, and this is something I got into an argument with a friend of mine uh, a couple weeks ago when we were out. And the, the argument is not between middle-of-the-road Democrat and Bernie right now. The choice is literally between Trump and Joe Biden, who is yeah. basically a middle-of-the-road Democrat. That's the choice. And you can portray the choice as being something else than that all you want. But this is the reality we are stuck with, and it sucks. And I would love to get a more progressive candidate as president of the United States as well. But we're not going to get that until we are able to defeat the Republicans. Because the reality is we need to change the system in order to get those progressive candidates into office. And the only party that has even made remote intimations as though they are willing to change the system is the Democrat Party. Right. The Republican okay. Party will never change this system because they have an unfair advantage through the Electoral College, through the way our voting works. They just have an advantage that they're not willing to give, get rid of. So the only way we get to the point where we can change the system through whatever means that needs to be, whether it be legislation or whether it be constitutional amendments, is that the Democrats have to win first. And okay. that might mean we're just going to have pro- slow, gradual change. And that sucks. But that's the way the, that's the way the reality is. And I know Here's you're question, trying to move I, me along. I, I, no, okay. no, I, I just have a question because I'm bored of the book and I think this is more interesting. Um, it is. <laughs> and and we, we, the, the rest of the book's kind of gar- the rest of this chapter is garbage. He like goes over the rest and then he talks about Bill de Blasio, whatever. I think a more interesting way to end the episode is me asking you if you think we are already aware of our next great progressive president or do you no. think it's someone yet to come on the scene no i i have no, i don't think anyone because bernie can't run again he's just too old now i think for his own health um he he wouldn't consider running again because and yep. it just wouldn't work right he i don't remember what his age is exactly but he's fucking old he's old he's like uh, so i don't i mean joe biden's old donald trump's old they're all fucking old but there aren't really any stars out there right aoc is in the house she's young uh there's a possibility that eventually she runs, but I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. Um, I think you're talking like well, it can't three, for or, another three or four cycles, right? Right, right, because she has to be 35. Uh, how old is she again? 29, I think. Is she our age? Is she our age? Yeah. Oh, man. It's really depressing. I'm hitting that point in my life. I'm hitting that point in my life where people who are, you know, famous people are my age or younger. And I had a real yeah. moment the other day. When, so I love the CW show Arrow, which is based on DC Comics, the, the character Green Arrow. Um, and it's a fantastic, they have the Arrowverse. It's a whole series of shows, The Flash and others that tie in. And it all takes place in the same shared universe. And I was like, I was looking up one of the actresses because I'd seen her in something else, but I couldn't remember what. It was like a sci-fi show uh, from back in the day. And I was like, who is she? And I'm looking, I'm like, holy shit, she's 27. She's a year yeah. younger than me. How is she a year younger than me? She looks like an adult. She looks like an adult. I don't think I look like an adult. <laughs> I think I look like a kid. <laughs> yeah, A kid so, with I'm, a full beard. Yeah. <laughs> but in short, you don't think, it's, you don't think the, the next no, progressive president is I, AOC? I, I, I don't know because I think it's possible another star rises before she's able to run for that office. I think, okay. you know... Of the field we know right now, I can't think of anybody who is progressive or at least 
as progressive as Bernie or or that wing of the the party. So I can't think of anyone on that level who has that level of national prominence who could be it. Do you have anybody in mind? Because I don't. No, I mean, I, <laughs> there's a, well, a few things. I, I mean, I think of the people we know of, I think AOC is the most likely probably to be a mm-hmm. progressive president. Um, I, I, and I don't think it's going to be soon necessarily. I'm just saying, like, we are already aware of her, like... People don't tend to come from nowhere. Like FDR was governor. He was he did a lot of stuff. He ran for vice president before he was president. So I I think people who've been around from young generally are good. There's a few like I don't know that that mm-hmm. I don't know if he would do it. But like Ed Markey is is facing a really tough race in Massachusetts this time because he's running against a fucking Kennedy, and there. Mm-hmm. But he's a super progressive dude that people really like. I don't know if he would consider it if he loses to Joe Kennedy. Maybe he would consider running in the next the next cycle if Biden decides he's not running for a full eight year cycle. Are, are we talking about? Are we talking about the senator Ed Markey, right? Yeah, who yeah, is seventy five ish, I think. Yeah, he's but, I mean, ancient. He's ancient, old, and know he's that old. he he looks even older than any of the the old guys running this time around. Fair enough. No, but I, I, I mean, I don't mean like a young person, but he would he would be the most progressive yeah. president probably. No, and so look, had. here's like since we've we've decided to abandon the book all to, altogether, why not? <laughs> why not? We'll get back to the De Blasio thing and end the chapter, but why not just like take this side ramp? So my feeling is, and and this is something that again gets me a lot of hate from all my friends, is like I don't think that radical change generally happens. I think change is gradual, which is why right. Biden has a more progressive group of people in his administration that would be in his administration. I think following Biden, we're more likely to get whoever his vice presidential running mate. Uh, I think Biden, if he's if he's wise, would only stay in office for four years and then let his running mate take it for the next term. Right. And that person, hopefully, likely more progressive than Biden, maybe not all the way to where we'd like them to be, but more progressive. And I'm not talking about what I want. I'm talking about what I think is likely. This is just the way I view the world, because even looking back at things that we have seen as radical change, right? Gay marriage being legalized, the Affordable Care Act, all these things towards the end that we're looking for, and this is where I get into arguments with people like my, my very hardcore, you know, tanky friends, are like, okay, you want Medicare for all. We had the Affordable Care Act several years ago. So Medicare for all is no longer going to be a radical change. It's now just gradual change because we had that intermediate step that's my feeling on the way that all this works i think we everything is gradual i think everything is gradual because the reality is we live in a world where there are a lot of moderates still left around a lot of them are older democrats and they're going to start to shuffle out and younger faces are going to start to shuffle in and we know when you hit those magical ages of 30 to 45 ish you're in your prime voting age where you vote a lot you're you're still in a, a relatively young and progressive mindset and and I think that's just the way it works because that's how people work. I I kind of agree, and it is it is about moving the Overton window as much as possible. And I think New York is doing that as, as much as any state is. You know, we've had several justice justice Democrats win. AOC getting reelected uh, and crushing her primary. You have um, Jamal Bauman in in uh, NY sixteen as well. There's lots of progressive wins in in the in the uh, in the House right. amongst primaries. Uh, like old basically and, it, and it's going to take a period of years of the administration have been replaced 
you know, fi- fixtures of the democratic establishment have been replaced with right. much more radically left-wing thinkers like Jamal Bauman, like uh, AOC, like even on the state level, people like Julia Salazar, stuff like that. And and it, it, it is an Overton window shift. I, I was just more curious whether you think we've already met the next progressive president. And I, I think we no, probably have. I don't. I think we probably have. I don't know who well, it is, but it, I, I would possible, be shocked if anyone... It's possible, but at this point, they're not of such prominence that we can point to anyone and say, that's them. It's possible that in the next four years, a star emerges, but I can't, you know, I can't point to anybody and say, that's, that's the person. And that's, I think, that's what I thought you were getting at with that question, is do we know who that person is, right? Mm. Not, not, is there someone, but do we know who that person is? And I yeah, don't no, know I who that person is. No, I have no, no idea. No, I didn't ask. Good. Good. Let's talk so about we can move Blasio. on and finish Bill this chapter is the next finally. Great progressive president. <laughs> we've been doing this for an hour and 15 minutes and we look, we've done everything we can to avoid talking about this chapter so far because it is so goddamn boring. Like literally these two chapters, it was hard to read, not because, you know, it was making me angry like the chapter where I, I yelled about all the people that Trump has inspired uh, as killers and fucking criminals. It was because it's so goddamn pointless and boring. But the Bill, the Bill de Blasio thing is one of those rare moments where he does get slightly funny. Yeah. Where he has a rare moment where he's almost funny because he starts off talking about uh, Bill. De, and it's like, it's not, this wasn't intentional funny. Like, Bill de Blasio deserves the credit for this funny because one of the first public events that de Blasio held as New York City mayor was <laughs> murdering the groundhog. <laughs> Yeah, that was bad. It was not great from Bill. And that story is just funny, right? I mean, it's bad. Animal cruelty is terrible, obviously. But if you were unaware of this story, uh, Groundhog Day 2014, after de Blasio was elected as mayor, he went to the zoo on Staten Island to do the whole Groundhog Day thing where you say if they saw their shadow or not. But apparently, uh, and I did look up this video, it is available, it is awful, but he, he was handed the groundhog, and he dropped it on its head, and it had to be put down several days later. Yeah, it's not great. Which is a, but it's pretty emblematic of Bill De Blasio yeah. as an individual. Yeah, that's I think. true. That's true. <laughs> I think that's that's what's what's funny about the story. Not the animal cruelty, because I love animals, but uh, the, the Bill De Blasio being a fuck up, I think, is pretty emblematic. And it's like, yeah, everyone hates Bill De Blasio. We get that. That's the main. I mean, the main point of this section is complaining that the cops don't like him. Blah 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 whatever nobody likes bill de blasio everyone hates bill de blasio everything i see is fuck bill de blasio especially after he decided to run for president he's i don't think there's a chance he's winning his next election because everyone fucking hates him now yeah i don't know who's gonna how often are mayoral elections every four years no idea no idea i think it varies depending on the city uh, but that's it. That's the last one he talks about. And he gave his odds of being nominee as less than zero, which it turned out was accurate. But I will read the final paragraph of the chapter, as I always do, which is, quote, Unless my publisher gets hacked by the Russians, this book should be on the shelves of your favorite bookstore in early November 2019, eight months before the Democratic National Convention in Milwaukee. In that time, candidates will make countless references to racism, sexism, transphobia, Islamophobia, and whatever the new giveaway of the day is. 
All they'll do is prove that nothing has changed, that the Democrats are still obsessed with identity politics over real progress, proposing harebrained socialist plans instead of real solutions, and pandering to the fragile emotions of social justice warriors. It's the same old story. End of chapter 16 of Triggered, and we have one chapter left. Thank God. I love when people talk about identity politics in the same chapter. They've been like, I'm a hunter. I'm a conservative. Shut the fuck (laughs) up, dude. Is that not your identity, Donnie? Yeah. So, Benedict, I know we didn't learn anything about this chapter. And I know that I have been forgetting to do the question after the end of the chapter, uh, like I usually do. And I think that's because uh, uh, it takes too much effort for us to do that. But, Benedict, how are we feeling? How are we feeling having only one chapter left to go in this horrible, terrible book? I'm feeling pretty good. uh, I'm not excited to read the Ben Shapiro book, but I'm excited for a change. You know, I feel like I've read the same chapter 17 times in a row with just, like different paint by numbers versions of the same chapter so it's all like write by numbers if there was a write by numbers thing like fill in the blank here <laughs> so if I'm, anyone would have it it would be the trump family yeah. they would have the write by numbers i'm excited to get onto someone who can at least write a complete sentence that we can deconstruct and that hopefully has been edited i'm also excited, that is definitely to, get, excited. to get some guests on the show man i'm excited to hear aaron's point of view if we can get aaron on uh, on on Ben Shapiro and uh, and all that stuff. I'm excited to to get some outside perspective on some of this stuff. Yes, I'm definitely excited for that too. We're gonna try and have more. I know we haven't had a guest in a, a handful of chapters, uh, mainly because you and I have been pretty busy, right? Uh, I have a summer job and and you're always working and don't do any work for the show. Uh, and true. I think we just have <laughs> just haven't haven't put in the time to schedule with someone and get that working. Uh, but I think I think we're going to try and, and do more guests for the next book. Obviously, Aaron is a, a favorite of ours, and since Benny's book is supposedly a philosophical treatise, I think it's perfect. Uh, yes. And if if always listeners, if you have ideas, if you have people you'd like us to have on the show, uh, send us a message on Facebook, the Twitter, email, wherever you want to do it. Or, uh, you know, just tweet at everyone you know that they should have us on their shows. I'm fine with that. Uh, but that's it. We have been rambling so much in this episode. Yeah, it's been a rambling episode. I apologize. That's my fault. <laughs> it's been very hard. because, And I, I don't think we have done a good enough job of describing just how pointless these chapters were. Because yeah. that's what's fucked us up this week, is how pointless these chapters were. And that's what's been difficult. But anyways, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you just can't get enough of us, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash NYGBC. Become a patron for as little as $2 an episode for patron-only episodes, shout-outs on the show, drawings to win our copies of the books we read, and more. And, of course, we will soon have a patron-only bonus episode coming for the month of July. Uh, and as always, we have to give a shout-out to our wonderful and amazing patrons. Diogenes the Cynic was right. Glaurung the Deceiver. Danielle, Big Easy Blasphemy, Stephen and Cindy Dimmick, A.J. Brantley, Becky Scott Fairley, Taru Tucanon, Skeptical Seventh, and Amadeus Redha. Thank you all, as always, for being our patrons. That's it for this week's show. Till next time, kneel before doom. Goodbye. Goodbye.
The Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020, all rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com. before doom kneel before doom kneel before doom <laughs> kneel before doom who's neil kneel before doom who's neil and why Dr. is he better than doom <laughs> <laughs> i thought you were gonna say who's doom dr doom god damn it <laughs>